Welcome to First Unitarian Society of Minneapolis, the birthplace of Congregational Humanism. We carry on that tradition of free thought today, dedicated to promoting a free search for truth, meaning, and justice. Our web address is firstunitarian.org. I'm David Breeden, Senior Minister. Welcome. Our minds and our bodies did not evolve to Zoom. I think that's pretty clear. Our minds and bodies did not evolve to sit at a desk, for that matter. We did not evolve to experience constant stress. Our minds and bodies did not evolve to exist in solitude, away from interactions with other human beings. And we did not evolve to exist without time markers of some sort, holidays, weddings, funerals. All of these things that our minds and bodies did not evolve to do became aspects of living with the pandemic, and they did not do our minds or our bodies any favors. Have you gotten on the scale lately? Studies have found that something on the order of 80% of people report experiencing an altered perception of time during the pandemic. Most people reporting both sped up and slowed down perceptions of time. For many people, hours and days passed slowly, months and years passed very quickly. In one way, this is not surprising. We all know how psychological time works, speeding up and slowing down according to our attitude toward what we happen to be doing at the time. Riding a bike or reading a good book and time can fly by. Doing your taxes, however, tends to turn time into slow dripping molasses. Time is a trickster. Anticipation or anxiety lengthens our perception of time. You know the saying, and it watched pot never boils or as slow as Christmas. The ancient Greeks knew this about time and named two different kinds of time, chronos, quantitative objective time that can be measured, and kairos, quality time. So clock time and psychological time, they are different. Stress levels during the pandemic had a good deal to do with those perceptions of time. For people who were more socially isolated, time slowed down. For those with busy lives, it sped up. And so did the pile of information that I was talking about a couple of weeks ago, just pouring in all the time. Some researchers are saying that a normal pre-pandemic brain is impossible for any of us to reacquire. One study found that college students can now focus on one task for 65 seconds, roughly. And a study of office workers found that the average office worker can focus for about three minutes max. The pandemic has messed with our sense of time. Early in the pandemic, the World Health Organization recommended maintaining or creating routines, but routines without imposed constraints can be difficult. And so, eh, we give that up. Given the intense experience of time that so many people felt, it's no surprise that many today have reassessed the value of time and how they spend it. 
The weird spooling of time has convinced many that there is more to life than work and has caused many people to think twice about what they're doing and what they're going back to. This reassessment has led to what's being called the Great Resignation, with many people not going back to work or cutting back on work or retiring early. And as always, those who can do that are the fortunate ones. A lot of people who would love to give it up just can't. As someone who believes deeply in the value of the spiritual and artistic life, I can't say that that makes me sad that people are reevaluating their lives. I think that's a real mindful thing to do with your time. Now, I was walking innocently through a grocery store the other day, safely behind my mask, of course, when what should I see but a mindfulness kit? It was in one of those slick, shiny boxes, happily perched among the greeting cards and the gift succulents. I will admit that I do have a prejudice, thinking that a grocery store can have birthday and anniversary cards, but that a mindfulness kit just isn't all that cool for them to do. I'm guilty of that. There it was a couple of aisles from the essential oils that promise peace and centeredness, the presence of which should have told me that a mindfulness kit would not be far behind. No, I shouldn't have been surprised. Mindfulness kits in grocery stores are very evocative of the time that we live in. People searching for ancient wisdom along with essential oils and organic whole grains all in one place and attractively packaged. The pandemic has created a space for introspection and interiority, two things that American consumer culture have long functioned to curtail. But awash in an information deluge as we are, feeding ourselves, uh, uh, feeling ourselves being overtaken by that 65 second attention span, Many of us are desperate enough for just about any hint of some kind of quiet introspection that may be an overpriced repackaging of information that you can get all over the internet. Maybe that's just the thing for our time. After this long, strange time, how is it that we can reclaim our inner lives and reevaluate? The answers are not mysterious. For people have always experienced time as somehow both magical and also frightening and overwhelming. 2,000 years ago, Marcus Aurelius wrote, quote, time is like a river made up of all the events that happen, and it is a violent flow. For as soon as a thing is seen, it is carried away, and another comes in its place, and then this too is carried away, end quote. Thing is, time has always felt like that for people. Time does feel like a river, often a violently and flooded flowing river. We experience life as it rushes by in a torrent. As the American poet Emily Dickinson described that experience, she wrote, I felt my life with both my hands to see if it was there. Now, I don't journal and I don't keep a diary. I can't do either of those. 
Neither am I particularly good at sitting on my butt still in this serious meditation thing. I'm just too jumpy. But I write lines of poetry every day. That has long been my spiritual practice, something over 40 years. For me, it is grounding activity to, to practice the mindfulness of putting words onto a page. Sometimes I jot in a notebook. Usually I write on my laptop, but I write every day. It is a spiritual exercise for me. Someone once asked Duke, Duke Ellington which was his favorite of his own songs, and he said, the one I'm going to write tomorrow, which strikes me as a very artistic and artist way of saying it, live in that anticipation of creativity. At the beginning of the pandemic, I opened a new file on my laptop and I titled it A Little Book About Making It Through the Day. I thought that was good. None of us knew how long this uh, pandemic thing was going to go on, but that was my file and I wrote in it every day. Sometimes a little bit, sometimes a whole lot. The American writer Annie Dillard in her book The Writing Life wrote this, quote, how we spend our days is, of course, how we spend our lives. What we do with this hour and that one is what we are always doing, end quote. And the philosopher Epictetus had a similar thought when he wrote, beautiful choices make a beautiful life. It's all right here and right now. So I ground myself by writing every day, every day, every day. I keep in mind the work of Emily Dickinson, who, due to the circumstances of her life, spent a whole lot of time in quarantine and solitude. And she learned to redirect her solitude into minute observation of both the physical world around her and also her own psyche. Lines like these, quote, to be a flower is profound responsibility, end quote. And these, I am afraid to own a body. I am afraid to own a soul. Profound, precarious property. Possession, not optional, end quote. And another poet of the mundane who also had a wry sense of humor was W.H. Auden, another favorite. He wrote these lines, for example, put the car away. When life fails, what's the good of going to Wales? And in my, in my veins, there is a wish and a memory of fish. When I lie crying on the floor, it says, you've often done this before. Here am I. Here are you. But what does it mean? What are we going to do? End quote. Artists get us down to those basics on the floor in despair, so confused that it's hard to sense our own bodies, wishing the rush of events would just stop for a little while. And art gets inside those experiences and suggests to us how to survive, both reading it and also writing it. A few weeks ago, I saw a call for poetry manuscripts written during the pandemic. All right, they're looking for manuscripts of roughly 80 pages, uh, which is more or less the standard length of most books of poetry. So I said to myself, I'm going to get in that file and see if I've got a book. 
Well, it turns out I'd written something over 370 pages. Uh, so 8370, I had some work to do on that document. I just had no idea how much I had written. I always write at the top of the file, so I didn't know there were 370 pages down below that. So it's, uh, I'm still working on that one anyway. Now our theme for March is renewing commitment. As I said at the beginning, our minds and bodies did not evolve to exist in solitude, away from interactions from other living beings. And we did not evolve to exist without time markers like the holidays and weddings. Every study that looks at the matter reinforces the notion that religion is good for people. You've read those studies. Now, it's not about the belief system itself, but about the social and cultural ways that we do religious practice, like getting up, getting dressed, and going, right? Here at First Unitarian Society, we practice the social life of religion without practicing any of the contents of religion. What First Unitarian Society offered during the pandemic in the best ways that we could was a continuation of those markers of the year and life passages. I've mentioned that I married my daughter and her new husband by Zoom, by golly, right? We tried to keep those things going. We've offered community as best we could during this time. We offered opportunities to reflect on the major events occurring in our larger world, and we've offered mindfulness, the, the practice of interiority, I like to call it, of having an inner life of calm rather than of chaos. We committed to doing community as best we could during the pandemic months, and we continue to do that. Many of you stuck with us during those long months, and you're sticking with us now, as it appears, anyway, that we are turning to a new chapter of the pandemic. First Unitarian Society is a congregational humanist community. We have filled our, fulfilled our mission because we have people committed to doing that mission, freely searching for knowledge and meaning, as we say in our mission statement, working for justice among ourselves and also for the larger world. I want to thank everybody who has stuck with us during this time. It was amazing when our board said, when we shut down two years ago, we're going to keep paying the staff. We'll see when it comes back. And you did that. And yes, we are coming back at last. But sticking with it all that time, you did that out of commitment. And as we've built these various social platforms to try to uh, communicate what we do to the larger world. Because we, we offer art like, like these guys, right? We, we get that out there, and people can expect that on Sunday morning. We offer reflection time. We offer calm time. We mark passages of life and all of that that entails. Because let's face it, many of the problems that the pandemic caused and continues to cause are challenges that are actually constant among human beings, forever and ever. One of those challenges is consciousness itself. What the heck is it? And as you know, I've talked a lot about that, and we still don't know. Consciousness itself has been the problem that human religions have evolved to try to help us with. But, you know, it hasn't been pretty. And yes, mindfulness kits and grocery stores 
are just the latest iteration of human beings around that fire trying to figure out what our minds even mean. So far, none of the human attempts at religion and the problem of consciousness have worked out all that well. Think about it. How many happy nations do we see in history? Mm, not too many, right? Uh, all of our religious and philosophical answers are partial answers because time just keeps moving and we keep having this consciousness thing. If we're honest, we all agree with Emily Dickinson back, way back there in the mid-19th century. I'm afraid to own a body. I'm afraid to own a soul. Profound, precarious property. Possession, not optional. The fact that there are no universally happy and content societies, and, and it appears that there never has been any, that's telling. It's telling. Consciousness itself is a problem. Despite plagues and wars and famines and social collapse, the question has ever been the same question. Why is it that my existence does not feel as if it is an experience in time. Why do I feel like this? I felt my life with both my hands to see if it was there, as Emily Dickinson said. How do we go on in these strange times? Well, Auden was staring at the beginning of the Second World War as he wrote those lines, and he too felt adrift in time and space. The answer is, well, just as people always have, lived in the face of that torrent of events and time. We have to commit. We have to take a leap. We have to trust ourselves and trust in community. And we cannot ask to be safe, but we can always be ready. Thanks for listening. You can find much more about humanism and what's happening at First Unitarian Society in Minneapolis by visiting our website at firstunitarian.org.